Have your Bible with you, I'd like to turn to the first Timothy chapter 4. All right, uh, Timothy chapter 4. Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we will be reading from the uh, Bible from verse 7 to 16. Okay, if you have your Bible, I really like you to turn your Bible to the First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I will be reading from verse 7 and uh, the second part of it. Okay, uh, probably I'll just read the entire verse uh, 7. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and the all wives' tales. It's talking about all the rumors, all the myths and everything. Do not argue about those kind of things. That's what Paul told um, uh, Timothy. And then he said, verse 7, uh, second part of it. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and all wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Everybody said, train yourself. Two, three, go. Okay, train yourself to be godly. And then he said physical training is good, which is when you go to the gym, you go run, you do exercise, that is good. But training for godliness is much better. Why it is? He gave you the reasons. He said because promising uh, benefit in this life and the life to come. So training to be godly, to live a godly life is not only benefit for you in this life, Benefit for you, uh, family, for your uh, work, for your uh, uh, marriage. Uh, benefit for yourself, benefit in a community. Uh, it is good, it's beneficial. But it's also beneficial for the life to come. So it's talking about eternal life. First nine. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. This way, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. Everybody say work hard. Everybody said struggle, okay? So you work hard and you struggle for it because you want to live a godly life. And then for our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. He's talking about the salvation that Jesus provided for everyone in this world and it's the eternal life for those people who accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he said, teach this, uh, these things and insist that everyone learn them. Do not let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scripture to the church encouraging the believers and teaching them. Verse 14, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you receive through the prophecies spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Everybody say progress. Okay? Uh, say, my progress. Okay, so everyone can see your progress. Okay, we are in a move. 
we are on the move and we are a people who continue to grow. So we need to see the progress. Verse 16, keep a close watch on how you live and all your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. This is the letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to Timothy, a young minister. He told him to train himself to be godly. To be godly means that we live a high moral standard, we live holy and faithful to God. It is not only is it difficult for men to live in such a life, but actually it's impossible. For that reason, Paul said, what I want to do, what is right, I cannot do. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. He said that I, as a man, I struggle. I want to do what is right, but end up, I did what is wrong. He gave the reason because the power of sin control human being. So when we want to do what is right, what is good, we end up doing what is wrong and what is bad. However, as Christian people who believe in Christ, to live in godliness not only possible. Actually, it should be a normal for us because just like the apostles say, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will flee me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he said, thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. You have been saved. You have been set free. You have been redeemed from the power of sin. And we all can live a godly life. And those who agree with me say, Amen. So as a human being, mere human being, fall into sin, controlled by the power of sin, there is not only hard to live a godly life, but it's impossible. But for you and me as a Christian who have believed in Jesus Christ, we believe that He has redeemed us from our, from our sin and He has set us free from the power of sin, then we are free to live a godly life. Not only that, First Peter chapter 3, last week we talked about that God has given us power. Everybody say power. Okay, He has given us power to give us everything we need to live a godly life. Not only that we have been set free, but we have been given the divine power for God has given us everything we need for a godly life. So we all have been given divine power and we can tap into this power and activate this power in our daily life that we may live a godly life. We have to realize that as a Christian, to live a godly life is not only possible, but it should be normal. Everybody said normal. Normal, okay? So we live our life 
a such a way that honoring God, pleasing to God, be a blessing to others, be a blessing to the family. It's a normal. Of course, once in a while we might fall. Once in a while we might struggle. Once in a while we must step in something that causes us to uh, fall over. But in Christ Jesus, because we have been set free, we have been given power to live a godly life should be a normal life. Everybody said normal. This is normal, but it doesn't mean it's easy. So we have to realize that God wants us to live a godly life and He has provided us with His power to accomplish that kind of life. It's not easy. It won't be one, two, three. Just like Apostle Paul said, that we have to train ourselves to be godly. Everybody said train. Train yourself. The word uh, train is from the word gymnasio. Most of you know the word gymnasium. Uh, most of you know the word gym. Some of you have been to gym. And when you go to gym, you train yourself. Uh, in the old time, in the ancient time, when they want to compete in the Olympic Games, so they will go to the gym and train themselves. Uh, you might have heard about gladiator. Gladiator who want to fight in the, in, in the, in the arena, they will go to the gym and they will train themselves. And one of the things that they do is that they will, they, uh, uh, they will live a heavy things. Probably they will train with one another. They will fight with one another. They will struggle. They will have to you know, uh, find a difficult time and they will have to persevere and they have to continue to doing it. Is that you go to the gym, then you lift up weight, and the weight has to be something that is, is, is hard for you to lift. It is it's something that you need to lift 10 times, but you feel it's hard. But if you lift something that is so easy, like this paper, you can lift a thousand times, it will not build your muscle. So you need to build, you lift something that is something that is hard, so can build up your muscle. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about. If you want to train yourself to be godly, you have to lift something that is hard, something that is tough. That's why sometimes when we become a Christian, we live as a Christian, and we thought after this certain stage of my life, it's going to be easy, it's going to be easier. And you find out yourself, you're getting harder and harder before you get married. You thought after I get married, I will be free, I will be holy, and it will be easy to live a life. And you, after you get married, you thought, man, and it's tough, man. You thought to yourself, after I get my children, life will be easier. You got your children, it seems to be not getting easier, it's getting tougher. And you thought to yourself, and my kids, grown up, they all go their own responsibility, they can provide them themselves, life will be easier. And you find yourself, it get, life is getting harder and harder. You thought, what in the world that God doing to me? I believe God is purposely doing that. He built up your spiritual muscle. So what does it mean to train yourself to be godly? Number one, if you want to train yourself to be godly, the number one that you have to always do is that you continue to grow into maturity. God's purpose for us is to be mature. Unfortunately, maturity doesn't come with age. There are people who is small, young age, but sometimes you hear people say like this, wow, you kids are like an adult. He thinks like an adult. He acts like an adult. He treats people like an adult. Wow, how you train such a kid? Right. But other time you will find people will say, man, that guy, that old man is like a baby. You might find it like probably your grandma, your grandpa, your great-great-grandma, your great-great-grandpa. The older they get, 
the more childish they become, right? Sometimes you find that way. Well, maturity doesn't come always with age. But maturity comes when the person is willing to accept responsibility for his or her actions, for his or her words, thought, motive, and attitude. You want to train yourself to be godly? Start taking responsibility. That's what he's saying. Be responsible with your words. Be responsible with your action. Be responsible with your thoughts. Be responsible with your motive. The opposite is true. People who are immature, people who are not mature, show in, show in irresponsibility, always blame others, they blame the circumstances, they make excuses, they blame the, 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 the uh, others, they blame their parents, they blame their spouse, they blame their, their, their friends, they blame their teacher, they blame everybody else except themselves. There's people who are immature. They blame their parents. They are some people who live up their life like 40, 50 years old. When you ask them, why are you in this stage? Because my father. My father forced me to take this major that I don't like. Now I live a miserable life. No, you don't do that. You take responsibility of your decision. You take responsibility of your action. You take responsibility of your motive. You take responsibility of what you think. You take responsibility of the words that you've spoken. That's why the Bible continues to remind us that every word that we speak, every action that we take, every decision that we make, we have to take it and be responsible in the presence of God. Why? Because God wants us to continue to grow, to mature in Him Then as we may we take responsibility in everything that we do, in everything that we say. And Paul, he told the young Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, and in love, in faith, and in purity. This means making responsibility, in, uh, taking responsibility in his words, in his thoughts, in his motive, in his action. Not making any excuses because he was young and not making any excuses because of his inexperience. He said, don't let anybody look down on you. Don't look down on you yourself because of your age, but take responsibility of your action. Take responsibility of your word. Take responsibility of your moral decision. Take responsibility of your motive in this way that you train yourself to be godly. Apostle Paul continued to say to Timothy, so he must be diligent so that everyone may see his progress. Unlike the people in the uh, uh, the people that uh, Paul described in the book of Hebrew chapter 5, when he said that by time, these people should be teachers, but they still need to be someone, need someone to teach them on the elementary truth. They're still infants in their godliness. The reason behind is that they had not trained themselves to distinguish what is good from evil. They were, rest, they were people who were immature. They couldn't distinguish what is good from evil because they only followed the flow, what was popular and what was in majority. Paul was talking to the people at that time. He wrote in the book of Hebrew, he said, You guys, by this time you should be teachers. 
But you still need people to teach you what is wrong, what is right. You still need people to tell you what is good, what is not good. You have not been trained. You're not training yourself. You, 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 your senses have not been trained. You are like a baby. It's still like an infant. They still only, only eat what given to you. And easy for so. Have you ever seen the babies? If you ever, have you, if you ever observe babies, um, we used to have two small babies. Now they've grown quite, uh, quite big. The first thing that the babies will do is that they will eat anything. They will eat anything that their hands can find. So if you look at the baby, like eating their own fingers, right? And sorry to say I'm going to ruin your lunch. Uh, your, your lunch. Uh, if his or her hands can, can grab a waist from his own or her own, it will put it in the mouth. They cannot differentiate what is food, what is not a food. They cannot differentiate what is good and what is not good. There is infants. But you and me, as we continue to grow in the Lord, the Bible said you have to be able, you have to train yourself to know what is good, what is not good, what is evil, what is good. We don't follow the crowd. A lot of people, they just follow the crowd. On Sunday, they look like a holy man. But unfortunately, on weekend, when they go to discotic, they look like a terrible man. They change. They cannot differentiate whether lying is good or not, whether cheating is good or bad, whether unfaithful is good or bad. They cannot differentiate. But for you and me, we have to train yourself. The way we train is that we set aside we set a set of value in our life. We will tell ourselves, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. It doesn't matter what comes in my life. It doesn't what temptation come into my life. I will stick to what I believe is right and correct. That is a major person. We take responsibility of our actions and of what we do. Second thing, if you want to train yourself to be godly, you have to always train yourself to grow in integrity. Everybody said with me, integrity. Two, three, go. Okay, one more time. Integrity, okay? Integrity, Paul said this to Timothy. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. So he was saying that watch what you do and what you say. You cannot say something and do something else. You have to mean what you say and say what you mean. You have to be true what you your word, and you have to true with your actions. The other words that associate with integrity is honesty, uprightness, sincerity, truthfulness, and trustworthy. That means the consistency in our words, in our action, and in our motive. The common phrase that we always heard is that what you see it's what you get in my life. Before I married my wife, I told her, you have to know who I am. I came from this kind of family, and my parents is, was not rich. My parents did not give me any inheritance. You got what you see. I, but the opposite is, is like when you go to hawker center or when you go to a restaurant, 
Look, you look at all this menu, so wonderful menu. You look at this, what's that? And you said, wow, this food must be yummy. And you order your food, and then you come up and said, my goodness, why it doesn't look like the pictures? And you told, you complain to the uncle, Hawker Center, uncle, how come it doesn't look like the pictures? The uncle will say, why don't you buy the pictures? Right. So you don't get what you, what you see. But people who have integrity, they will say what they mean and they mean what they said. Jesus called the Pharisees and the religious people as people who are hypocrites. This is what he said. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrite. For you are like whitewashed tombs, tombs, what do you call it? Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. There are some religious people who will stand up on the street at Jesus' time. They will pray or wrong pray. They will wear a religious robe and their motive was not the seeking to please God, but they were looking for the assurance, looking for the praise from the people around them. To live in integrity is to live out our convictions, to practice and implement the value that we believe what is right, no matter what. Let me read once again. To live in integrity is to live up our convictions to practice and implement the values that we believe in no matter what. We don't put ourselves in a compromising situation that will make us do the very thing that we have said that we will not do. You probably remember what happened to Joseph. He was working in this Potiphar's Potiphar's uh, house. He was entrusted everything. And one day, the master's wife fell in love with Joseph and tempted him to sleep with her. When Joseph was given that kind of circumstances, and the Bible said that every day, the master's wife tried to seduce him. He couldn't do much thing because he was a slave. He has to do, has to perform his duty. But when the master wife tried to pull him, the Bible said that he ran out of the house even though he had to let his clothes at the master wife's hand. He was accused wrongly, but he has his integrity. He lived up his life according to what he believed. He said, I cannot do this thing to you because it will be wrong. I will wrong my master. It's not only that I will wrong my master, but I will sin against God. I believe that every actions, everything that I do, every decision, everything that I think of, every motive of my heart, I know God knows everything. So I cannot do this not because I cannot hide it. I do not do this because I believe this is wrong. And I want to live according to what I believe. And I want to live according to what I said. I will believe 
and I want to do what according to what I preach. The last thing. So if you want to train yourself to be godly, number one, you have to grow in maturity. You take responsible. Everybody says responsible. I have one more time. Everybody said responsible. Okay, don't push. You blame to others. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame your children. Don't blame your spouse. Don't blame anybody. Don't blame your church. Don't blame your pastor, please. Don't blame God. Take responsible. I, I found out one thing. Uh, I've been in church and pastoring for very long time since I was very young age. From time to time, I will find some people that came to me, Pastor, I'm so dry. And I will find some people who never dry. I figured out one thing, that people who always feel dry is that they only depend on Sunday for their spiritual life. They neglect their spiritual training during the days. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't live a, life, a godly life. They ignore everything spiritual. They just live in this world in, on their own. They hope they come to Sunday, they will in, in charge again, recharge again, have strength again, and go out on Sunday, uh, on Monday and be able to, 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 to fight again. They go, when they are so tired, they go back on Sunday. They hope they will get recharged on Sunday, go out in the world, become a witness to conquer the world again. That's not the world. That's not how the world works. That's not how our faith works. That's not how God wants it to work. God wants you every day to train yourself. When you go to Sunday, it's not that you want to get something. You go to Sunday. You want to bless God. You want to bless the people. You want to bless the church. If you have that kind of attitude, I guarantee you, you will never dry in your spiritual life. You will always come on top and your spiritual will on fire even though at times you must struggle because I believe people who come to bless they will be blessed by God. The last point. So number one, you be mature, you take responsibility. Number two, you have integrity. You do what you say, you mean what you say, you say what you mean. Number three, consistency. Everybody say consistent. Two, three, go. Go One more time, everybody say what? Consistent. Okay, remember this. These are the principles that Paul said is not only beneficial for life now, is also for the life to come. So it means that the principle that we learn today is not only good for our spiritual being as a Christian, it also will beneficial for your study, beneficial for your marriage, beneficial for you for your family, beneficial for your work. If you are mature, it will be beneficial to you. If you have integrity, people can trust you. People can trust your product. People can trust your promise. People can trust you, your sales. People can trust what you do. People can trust your work. People can trust your time. The third one is consistency. Say it one more time with me. Consistent. Two, three, go. Consistent. Everybody say it one more time. Consistent. Paul. Paul Timothy. Persevere in them. Which means, Timothy should be consistent, not easily changed from time to time. To train himself to live a godly, he has to be consistent. For us, it's the same. You want to train yourself to be godly and pleasing to God, you have to be consistent. Everybody say it with me, consistent. Two, three, go. 
Consistent means our words, our action, our thoughts, and our motives always in line with our beliefs and faith throughout despite the inevitable temptation and that scatter along our journey. In other words, to live in godliness means that people can trust us. We say what we mean and we mean what we say. Everybody said, I mean what I said, I said what I mean. Truth, three, go. I mean what I said, I said what I mean. One more time. Everybody said, I mean what I said, I said what I mean. So people do not have to guess. Is that what he means? Is that what she means? It's like when a husband asks the wife, what do you want to be? Anything. Let it stick. Ah, boring. Let's eat sushi. Smelly. Let's eat chocolate. Too old-fashioned. So you have to guess what does it mean? Anything. Do you remember last time in Singapore they sell this canned drink called anything? Right? You go buy, say, what is it? Anything. You only have to guess what's inside there. At first time they went, oh, wow, it's quite famous. You know, everybody buying it, trying it. After a while they closed down the store. Nobody want to buy because you cannot just keep guessing what is it inside. I want to get what I want. It's like the same people like you. When they want to be a friend with you, they want to know who kind of, what kind of person you are. When they want to date you, they want to know what kind of person you are. They want to marry you, they want to know what kind of person you are. They want to be your friend, you want to know a person what, you are, what kind of person you are. So you need to be consistent. You're consistent with your word. You're consistent with your action. You're consistent with your, your, your motive. You're consistent with the things that you do and what you say. To the point, this is what the psalmist said. Listen to this powerful word of the Lord. He said, who may worship in your sanctuary, O Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives that do what is right and speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harms their neighbors, or speak evils of their friends. Listen to this. Those who despise fragrant sinners, who honor the faithful followers of the Lord, and who keep their promises even when it hurts. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? who may enter in your presence, holy hill, is people who will keep their promise even though it hurts. This speaks mostly to people who have been married, right? People who are getting married, they will say this, I will love you, I will be faithful to you. And then what's the, 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 the phrase? Uh, in sickness or in hell? In poor? Or poorer or richer? Or something like that. And they will say, until death do us apart. Most people will say that in their marriage power. So when people separated, they ask them, why? You are separated. 
Why are you divorced? No. He snored too loud. He doesn't discipline himself. Always press the toothpaste from the middle. I will push it from the bottom. He push it in the middle. He dirty the, the toilet seat all the time. He doesn't keep dirty, dirty laundry. And when you ask the wife why, you ask the husband wife, my wife, when we were dating, she always looked good and smelled good. Now when I come home, she was always in pajamas. She looks like more like my mate instead of my wife. That's the reason that I want to quit. Before they have children, everybody said, Oh God, give us children. After they got children, they said, Man, they always make trouble for me. I quit this family. I have enough. But some say, the person who can come into the presence of God and worship God in His sanctuary, people who please God, people who are godly, who live in godliness, is people who keep their promises even when it hurts. Say, Pastor, but I promised wrongly how? Well, you go back to the person like Jesus said. If you have promised something, you think that you cannot keep the promise, you go to the person. Say, sir, uh, or uh, Pastor Untung or Robbie, I'm sorry I promised you, but actually I cannot keep my promise. Would you please release me from my promise? Would you forgive me? I really cannot do. I want to do, but I cannot. Right. Or if you probably borrow money from your friend, from Jethro, right? Jethro, you borrow money, $5. Next week, I'll pay you back. And then the following week, the parents did not give money. So what do you do? Well, you go to Jethro, Jethro, sorry. I really want to pay you back $5 that I borrowed from last week. I, I promised you this week, but I couldn't because my parents, they all gone overseas, left me at home alone. They didn't leave any money to me. I'm sorry. Would you please give me one more, you know, one more week? You played with them. You don't just ignore. A lot of people, when they promise, they cannot fulfill the promise. They thought they never promised anything. They pretend they do not promise anything. They pretend their life is good without fulfilling the promise. They thought the person is a good person. They will not ask for the promise to be kept. They will not ask for money to be returned. They will not ask the book to be returned because he is a so nice person. Because she is a so nice person. Oh, he will hear and she will not bother. If I don't keep my promises, he will not angry. She will not angry. Oh, hello. The person might not angry, but God can be angry. Because God wants you to live a godly life. And to be godly, you need to be consistent. The consistency is that you do what is right and you believe what is right. You do it now and you do it tomorrow and you do it next week, you do it next year. You don't only live a godly life on Sunday and live uh, something else the next day. We have to be consistent. Everybody said we make consistent. Two, three, go. Let me finish by reading a few more scriptures to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Everybody say immovable. Oh, one more time. Everybody say it. Immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. People who believe say, Amen. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. So let's, get, let's not get tired of doing what is good. And just at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Everybody said, don't give up. Tell your neighbor, don't give up doing good. There is consistency. Everybody say consistency. Everybody say consistent. Everybody say mature. Everybody say integrity. Everybody say consistent. One more time. Everybody say mature. Everybody say uh, integrity. Everybody said consistency. You do that in your life. You are training yourself to live a godly life. And not only beneficial for you now in your marriage, in your life, in your work, in your study, in your relationship, it also beneficial for the life to come. Those who believe say, Amen. Let's bow our head in prayer. Why do Christians live in such a way that as if the trial and the problem and the struggle in this life that we experience as if they don't really matter much to us? The reason behind that we have such an attitude is that because we are people who have hope in Christ. Why are we people who have hope? What is the reason that we have hope in life? In the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That means that as we face the future in our life, when we walk through this life on this earth, we are not in a position in which that we live in fear as if that God will punish us in any time. The reason behind because the Bible said that we have been made peace with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. For that reason, we are in peace with God. And the next verse says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward. Everybody said with me, look forward. Two, three, go. So we look forward confidently. We look forward joyfully. Why? To share God's glory. It talks about the glory of the Lord in the future. It talks about the eternal reward that God has prepared for us who believe in Jesus Christ. And the next verse said, we can rejoice. We can rejoice too. Even when we run into problems and trials. Why? Because we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strengths and character. And character strengthens our confidence of hope. So what the word of the Lord is saying is that when we go through trial, when we run into problems in life, we do not need to murmur, we do not to be disappointed, and we do not need to be discouraged. Because God can use those things 
to develop good character in our life, and that character strengthen our confidence of hope. What it means is that the more that we experience trouble, the more we experience problem in life, that God will use them to strengthen our character, that make us become more confident, believe that our future is brighter, that our confidence in the hope of Christ, that the reward will be given to us in the due time. And verse 5, and verse 4, Endurance develops strengths of our character and character strengthen of our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. So we are talking on a particular hope. We are not talking about wishing hope that sometimes really doesn't matter. Right? Some of you might uh, experience this if you're driving your car and then you are in the rush and you hope the red light will turn to green just in time for you to cross over because you're in a hurry. And that kind of wish hope, it really doesn't matter at all. Why? Because the computer, because the algorithm has been written when the time, when the light will turn green, whether you hope or not, it doesn't matter. And our hope is not the hope that just because we do something and they hope we'll get something else in our life. What I mean is that if you, if you plan a plant, like my wife, she planted a tomato plant in our house. And a while ago, it grew some flowers. And all the flowers, it was quite nice. It were those small yellow flowers. But it always fall off. So my wife told me, said, you know, if this doesn't bear fruit in the near future, I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to throw it away. And suddenly, a few days later, I look at the plant and I didn't see any, but I looked closer and saw one small tiny fruit. I say, I called my wife, dear, there's a fruit on the tomato. Since then, it's been like growing fruit, even though so tiny, just like, you know, really tiny, tiny fruit. But we have expectation. We hope that this plant will grow more tomatoes. What we hope that we will get fruit because we planted the plant, because we watered the plant, because we put fertilizer on the plant, because we try to gardenize the soil so it can bear more fruit. And my, that kind of hope is a reasonable hope, but it doesn't always bear fruit either. Some of you have finished your PSLE. You've done your PSLE, you did your best, and you hope you will get a very good grade so you can go to the secondary of your choice. Well, that is the hope that you might get and you might not get. You've done your job, you have done your best, and the result now is not in your hands. Everything basically is settled. It can bear a good grade. It can be a grade that disappoints you. So there is the hope that probably can disappoint you. But the hope that we are talking about, the hope that we have in Christ, the Bible said that we will not lead into disappointment because the hope in Christ is the assurance, it's a certain hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because it said, and this hope will not lead into disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us. The reason that this hope will not lead into disappointment because the reason behind it, because God loves you so much. God doesn't love you because you look good. 
He doesn't love you because you are righteous. He doesn't love you because you are holy. He doesn't love you because you are perfect. The Bible says, listen to this right there in the first five. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Spirit. Fill our hearts with love. What does it mean is that God has shown us that He loves us so much that He put it in our hearts that we can feel it, we can understand that God is truly love us so much. And He shows us, He gives us the evidence, the proof. Verse 6. Let's read it together right here and the monitor and the screen. Two, three, go. When we were utterly helpless. Okay, once again, when we were what? Utterly helpless. What does it mean, utterly helpless? Uh, Jethro, can you help me? What does it mean, utterly helpless? Need help? Okay. Uh, how about this? Utterly helpless is really, 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 really helpless. Is that, is that what it means, Owen? Utterly helpless? Really helpless. There's nothing else you can do. There's no more hope. There's no salvation. Punishment. Eternal death. Waiting for us. That was the condition that we were in. Yet when we were utterly helpless, let's read, continue through three, go. Christ came just the right time and died for us as sinners. So the Bible says that we have hope. Not because we don't have problems and trials. We have hope. Not because we can see our future clearly. We have hope, not because we are perfect. We have hope, not because we've done everything successful. We have hope because God loves us so much. He will not let anything destroy us at the end, but He has prepared a heavenly, eternal reward for each and every one of us who follow and believe in Jesus Christ. Since we are people of hope, what does it look like when we are hopeful? Okay, this is what it looks like. Okay, uh, God loves us, so we have hope. And then this is what it looks like when people who have hope. I use the word hope and make an acronym and I use every letter of the hope to represent one characteristic of hopeful people. Everybody said with me, hopeful people. Two, three, go. Hopeful people. And say, I'm a hopeful people. True, three, go. Yes, you are a hopeful person. And how does it look like? Number one, a helpful or hopeful people is a people who, have, who are happy. Everybody say with me, happy. Happy. Okay? The Bible said, blessed are you when people insult you. Right? When you are insulted, you are not basically happy. But the Bible said that you are blessed. Okay, the, book, the, 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 the word blessed in the, word, in the Greek word is makarios. Makarios can be translated also happy. So that's why in Indonesian version it said berbahagialah. Makarios, be blessed, be happy. Okay? And be happy when people insult you. Right? You are not happy when people insult you. How many people you hear, you say, when people insult you, hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you do that? Probably you will not, okay? Is that in circumstances, in that presence, uh, conditions. And they said, when people persecute you, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you, would you be happy? 
And people said, you know what? Roby, you know what Roby did yesterday? He borrowed money from me, $50, and he said he will pay me back today. It has been a year. He didn't pay me a cent. And Roby said, I never ever borrowed $50 from Pastor Stephen. If any borrow money, so probably should be Pastor Stephen borrow money, $50 from me. I have never borrowed money from him. If he is that person that people spoke about something like that, would be he happy? Oh, I'm happy people say bad things about me. Well, you were not, right? In the logical reasons. But Jesus had a different way of saying it. He said, rejoice and be glad. Why is it? Because your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What Jesus was saying is that, yes, it is uncomfortable, yet it is unpleasant, yet it is very unpleasant when you're going through persecution, trial, and problem, and issue in life. But do not be dismayed, do not be discouraged, because you have hope. What is hope? Hope is embracing the reality of today, but expecting something better for tomorrow. Hope is not just an optimism. Optimism said this. Oh, it's really not that bad. Economy is not that bad. My marriage is not that bad. My financial is not that bad. My grades is not that bad. There is optimism. Even though they are really, really bad. Even though the grade you got is E and D. You should say, oh, that's not bad. And sometimes people think that is a very spiritual person. Wow, you are good. You are a very optimist person. You have positive thinking. It's what's bad. You say it's not bad. What well, optimism is good, but faith is better. Faith is embracing the present reality, but yet expecting something better in the future because God, the Bible said, has a good plan, and his plan is for the future to prosper us, not to destroy us. A brighter future is waiting for us. We are not denying the present reality. We are not denying that we are being persecuted. We are not denying that we are being treated unfairly. We are not denying that we have problems in this world. We are not denying that we have weakness in this life. But we trust our God who loves us that would guarantee at the end of the day we will come up victoriously because He loves us and that is the hope that we have in our Jesus Christ. So for that reason, we should be happy. When you go through your life and you, know, you have problems, you have issues, you still go to church, you still sing to the Lord, you still clap your hands, you still shout out the Lord, you still sing joyfully, and people ask you a question, why are you still happy? You have problems in your family, why are you still happy? You have problems in your financial, why are you still happy? You have problems with your school, why are you still happy? Well, the reason that we are happy is that because we have hope and we believe our future will be better because God loves us so much. The second, reason, the second reality or the second characteristic people who have hope. Okay? Number two, people who have hope are people who are overcomer. Their attitude are not a victim attitude. They don't go through life 
facing problems, blaming other people. They don't go through life facing problems, just blaming themselves, disappointed and give up in life. One of the yesterday, last night actually, my, me and my family, we watched a movie called Unbroken. Uh, this is a, a story, a real life story about uh, a man called Louis Zamperini, I believe he was, uh, uh, I think, uh, Spanish-Italian uh, origin. Uh, his parents uh, migrated to uh, America when he was young. And as he was growing up, he was a very naughty boy, you know. His parents just don't like him. His people don't like him. His friend doesn't like, didn't like him. And as he was growing up, he, you know, he liked to run. And his brother encouraged him to run. And he, when he felt that he could not run, then he, his brother encouraged him again. And his, 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 his brother always said, is, if you can take it, you can make it. If you can take it, you can make it. If you can take it, you can make it. Can you take it? Yes. Can you take it? Yes. And you can make it. And finally, he made it to the Olympic and he won the Olympic, a 5,000 meters uh, run. And he was growing up and he uh, ran, you know, he won Olympic and he was expecting to go to the next Olympic in Tokyo. But World War II broke out. He registered and listed at the army in the uh, Air Force. One day he was called, he and his friend was called into a rescue, search and rescue for uh, you know, other soldiers who have crashed their plane. And then while they were on the missions, their plane also crashed. They crashed into the oceans. Most of the people died. Only him, Louis, or they call him Lou, Louis, and two other friends. His name was Mac and Philip. They survived, three of them. The first thing happened was Mac. Make said, we are going to die, we are going to die, we are going to die, we are going to die. Everybody said, shut up, shut up, we are not going to die. And one of his friends was Philip, was injured. Can you please, Louis, tell him to shut up? And from day one to the next day, they only have two rough. They survive the crash. They have a bit of chocolate, they have a bit of water. Louis told them, we need to rations. Make sure we eat chocolate only one small piece a day and water only three sips so we can survive until people come and rescue us. Day one turned to day two to the day three. Mac was very disappointed. After many days, I don't remember how many days, Mac, who was very pessimist, who gave up in everything, he died. Left two persons, Philip and Louis Zapparini. They keep talking to each other. They try to encourage one another. He's always talking about his mom's favorite cook. What's the name of that? Gonichi or something? Whatever the name of the food. Keep talking, expecting that he will see his family once again. Even though it was not you know, shown in the, in, the, in the movie, but in his book, there are two books that he, he wrote. One is that The Devil in, on Our Hill, and then uh, the other one is that uh, Don't Give Up, Don't Give In. After 47 days on the oceans, they were found by the Japanese soldiers and captured and treated badly, severely beaten, severely treated. He was persecuted badly. Up to a point, he said, I'm going to kill that commander. That commander, I, don't, I, I believe his, his last name was Watanabe. 
Right. This Watanabe has a, has, has a nickname called the birds. Why, the, why people call him the bird, I don't even really understand. While Louis was expressing his anger, that I'm going to kill this guy, his friend said, no. We take our revenge by surviving and staying alive until the end of the war. And when we stay alive and we come up alive at the end of the war, that is our revenge. From that day on, he carried on every trial, every persecution, every mistreatment. Even though it was not in the movie, his book stated that one that keep him going is that he will one day he will see his family again, he will see his parents again, he will see his friends again, he will see his brother again. That hope keep him going, that hope keep him going, and that hope that make him become an overcomer. And one day, true enough, the American dropped the bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. American and its allies won the game, won the war, and they were released. And Rui Zabarini was sent back to America, welcome as a war hero. Brothers and sisters, hope for the future. Keep us going and make up become someone who is overcomer. Most of the inventor, most of people who make it in this life, when they see problem, they don't see something as obstacle. But they always see something to solve, something to overcome, something to solve it, something how to, to, to overcome this issue, how to come up with a solution. For that reason, these people keep going, keep trying, keep seeking help, keep trying until the end, they reach it. And they hope of solving the problem become a reality. And people who have hope are people who are overcome. So don't be easily defeated. Don't easily give up. Don't give in. Don't give up. When you can take it, you can make it. Everybody said with me, when you can take it, you can make it. Two, three, go. When you can take it, you can make it. It brings us to the next point. Is that people who have hope are people who can persevere. They endure. They endure the trial. They endure the issue. They endure the problem. They endure the mistreatment. They endure all the unfairness. They endure all the trial of their lives. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 51, My mercy and justice are coming soon, and my salvation is on the way. God is saying, hey, my salvation is coming. My help is coming. My hope is coming. My promises have become a reality. Just wait. My strong arms, God said, will bring justice to the nations. All distant lands will look to me and wait in hope. For my powerful arms. The book of Romans chapter 8 verse 25. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently. We must wait confidently. Why we endure. Why we keep going. Why we keep trying. Why we keep getting up when we are beating down? Why we keep trying? Because we have a hope. Because our future is a better future and brighter future. That's why we persevere. That's why we keep trying. That's why we don't give up and we don't give in easily. The last one. 
E stands for eternal. As we grow in our age, there are some people in this life when they grow older, they probably, some of them have given up in life. Some people, when they grow older, they feel that there is nothing else to conquer. Some people, when they grow older, they feel there is nothing else to contribute. Some people retreat to golf. Some people retreat to the rocking chair. And some people flying here and there without a purpose. In the morning, they eat breakfast in Singapore. They have lunch in Jakarta. They have dinner in Bali. And they have the supper in Perth, Australia. When, they ask, when you ask them why, they said, I don't know. Well, I have nothing against playing golf. I hope, you know, I will spend some time when I'm a bit older to, you know, sometime probably uh, hit some golf balls. I have nothing against resting and even traveling for leisure. However, the attitude of I have seen it all, I have done it all, I've been there, and there is nothing new, and there is nothing else that I can do, that I can contribute. My life is at the end. Well, for people who have that kind of attitude, and if you're growing up with that kind of attitude, that the end of your life, when you grow old, you become useless, you become abandoned, you become nothing else. Listen to this, what the Bible says. But the godly, is that here? No, it's not. Let me read to you from the book of Psalms chapter 30, 92. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the course of our God, even in the old age. They will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, The Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in Him. Some people, when they grow old, they, grow, they become worried. They depress about growing old. Thinking they become useless. They will become lonely, abandoned. But the perspective of the Bible says, as we grow old, they will become stronger. We still be remain vital. We still be useful. We'll still bearing fruit. The Bible says. As the Bible said that we have hope, that we have hope in Christ Jesus, that would not lead into disappointment. It, lead, it is not only the hope for the next 10 years, 20, 30, and 40 years or more. But the hope that we have in Christ, the future that we look into not only in the next 10 years, 20, 30 years, but we look into much further future, which is in eternal. What we believe as a Christians, there is eternity for people who believe in Jesus Christ. And there is our hope that will never, never lead to disappointment. For that reason, we are happy. For that reason, we are overcomer. For that reason, we persevere 
And for that reason, we look to the future with the hope and happiness in our life. 